I wanted to be the next Steven Spielberg. But back then, no one had a pot to piss in because everybody wanted to work in film. They could get away with paying off peanut. Whether I wanted to be a starving artist and look at me, Chabert, do I look like I can be a starving artist? Not for the things I want. I was working for not a really, I mean, they weren't terrible. They just weren't good company towards their people. And I thought, well, it'd be really nice to be able to work in like HR and work around people, work with people and see how I can make people's working lives a little bit easier. I found this even till this moment. Of all the things and all the anti-blackness, all the racism, the microaggressions, this particular moment still is my number one moment that really punched me in the gut. And welcome to Everyday Leadership, a podcast where you get to listen and learn how to lead yourself personally and professionally through the lessons and life experiences my guests share in the hope that it challenges and inspires you to lead yourself from the inside out and not the outside in. Don't confuse getting noticed with being seen. It's a quote I had a very long time ago, and it's quite appropriate for today's podcast as I unpack an experience that changed the trajectory of my guest life. Welcome to Everyday Leadership. In today's podcast, we are going to have some fun because we're gonna we're gonna be laughing for sure but we're gonna learn we're gonna get candy we're gonna get real with someone who is an amazing person this is a podcast that's been a long long time um coming my guest is someone who is very humble in fact too humble she doesn't speak enough about her accolades and her successes and different organization that she works with and that's even one of the reasons why i wanted to bring her on to really talk her truth, talk about her successes, but also talk about some of the experiences that have led her to where she's got to right now. She did amazing work in the corporate space. She does amazing work as a founder in her own business. So let's just sit back, relax, listen, and learn. And we'll ask my guest to introduce herself. Oh, I like talking about myself. Hello. That's what, that's what, that's what I'm going to do in that way. <laughs> hi, hi, everyone. I'm like, oh my, where do I even start? I'm like, ready. Like, what? Oh, hi, everyone. My name is Abby Adamson. I am a global um, diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant. I work with many different companies before, such as your Googles, your Spotify's, your Sony Music. Um, and yeah, no, I really love doing this work. It's yes, it does have its testing moments. Um, but I'm all about organizational transformational change, um, equitable changes and making sure that everybody can thrive in the, um, in the workplace, no matter where they are, what they look like, where they're from, um, and just making sure that everybody is set up for success. Simple, you know? <laughs> I always very curious to learn how people have got to where they've got to and doing what they're doing right now. So if I was to peel it back and go back to let's go back to a, a younger um Abby, let's say ten year old. What were you like at ten? I wanted to be the next Steven Spielberg. I wanted to I loved I was just yeah, 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 yeah. So my my first degree is actually in film. So I have a film degree. So um, yeah, I was just I well, you'd 
10 year old Abby, you'd find me watching a movie um, and analyzing it. I was very much into my films growing up. I was very films and, and roller skating, the only two things. <laughs> and oh, I used to have a BMX, so I used to be a BMXer. So roller skating, BMX bikes, and and movies are my thing at ten years old. That that was me. Um, very much a tomboy, um, practicing wheelies um, around Shepherd's Bush. <laughs> that's what I was doing at ten. Um, but yeah, that's... what was your favorite film? That my favorite film. I always thought you can't ask a film person what their favorite film is because there's so much, but. It... Yeah, there's so, there's so, but at that time, probably at 10, it was a film, it's a film called um, Cinema Paradiso. That's a film that I really liked. Was there a film in particular, was there something in particular that got you into liking movies or watching, analyzing them? Yeah, I think it was a Robert De Niro film. I, I want to say it was, well, I really loved Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That was my, that was the film that I, probably one of the first films I knew every single word to that movie. Um, I loved Bob Hoskins. I loved Christopher Lloyd in that film. I thought it was hilarious, uh, a, a rabbit being framed for murder. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. I thought that Beverly Hill, anything with Eddie Murphy, the 80s Eddie Murphy was just, that was me. That was me. Anything from Trading Places to Beverly Hills Cop to obviously Coming to America. So, um Anything already Murphy, and then um, and then my other film that I knew every single word of was Twins, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Danny DeVito. Oh man, I remember that. Yeah, so those so actually, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Coming to America, and Twins all came out in 1988. All those three films, um, and those were my films. Those those films I just knew of, like by the time I was four, I could recite those films. <laughs> I could recite them off it. Um, but the film that made me love cinema, made me think, oh my God, this is fantastic, was Cinema Paradiso, which is an Italian film. Um, but yeah, so so yeah, that's 10-year-old Abby. So you, you're you under analyzing films, you're, on, you're into that. Obviously, you've carried that all the way throughout to to uni. How come you didn't fully go into that and go into like film producing and, and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so I almost did a, a film producing master's. Um, at Royal Holloway and when I, at that time I was working for interning and I did some stuff at the Beeb um at Pinewood Studios um and one of the production houses which they will remain nameless because they were useless um and they abs honestly absolutely useless the, uh, the most useless of useless of all, all organizations uh, when I when I first started you know my career after I graduated and not to be completely brutally honest i'm sure i don't know how much times have changed now but back then no one had a pot to piss in because everybody wanted to work in film they thought you could they could get away with paying us peanuts um and you know do working really long hours going on sets um going back and forth and of course when you're a runner when you're an intern you're everybody's lackey basically so you're just happy to be there you're just happy to be around all this magic that you realize it's quite exploitative and you don't realize that it's quite exploitative so if anyone i was getting older i got to about 25 and i thought ah oh, hold on a second <laughs> what why do i still have just the uh, 10 pounds in my account <laughs> what what is going on why am i why am i out here for 
You know what I mean? Why am I working 12 hours and I, I, I come home with a 50 quid at the end of the month? Because what is this all about? Um, and so I just, you know, I, I just had to think about whether I wanted to be a starving artist and come and, you know, look at me. Where a fine girl, no pimple. Do I look like I can be a starving artist? <laughs> Not all the things I want. Right? See that? You know? No, no, no. That one is not my portion. I cannot be starving, you know. Um, so I just thought I need to. I need to rethink um, my career. As much as I loved loved working in film, it was just not not feasible, not financially feasible. It was just not for what you were getting about. And I hope things have changed in the industry. Um, I know they still pay people quite rubbish, um, but I hope I hope things are getting better. But back then, it was just ridiculous. So that's why I didn't stay in film. Because I never had any money. Honestly, that's wisdom, though, because I know far too many starving artists who hold on to that um, that mantra around that. I'm like, my friend, but you're not you're not happy. You can't you can't pay your bills every month is like an absolute nightmare. Right, and that's the thing you've got made a really good point because I probably would have stuck it out if I was happy. But I'm like, I'm hungry and I'm not happy. <laughs> What's going on here? And I worked in all the clubs. If I was if I was hungry and happy, then maybe I would have been like, well, at the end of the day, one of life's biggest goals is to be happy. I've done that. Um, but nah. I was hungry and unhappy, so I needed to make changes and, and fast. Were you one of those people who subscribed to I think the book was called Starry Nights, wasn't it? By is it Alexandra? No, I did I didn't. No, I don't know about it. No. Yeah, there's there's a book that a lot of creatives basically had as their Bible. And it's this guy from way back in the day, and he talked about being a starving artist, and a lot of people subscribe to the whole notion of how you're supposed to live and live very, very minimalist without anything, and you go through this journey. And I read it, and I was like, my friend, this is ridiculous. Like, <laughs> you, can't, you, can't, you can't live. Too ridiculous. Too ridiculous. So, um, yeah, so I fast forward a few years and then uh, yeah, about this time, t 10 years ago, I was thinking, right, I need to, I need to, I want to do something around people. Um, I was working for, not really, not, I mean, they weren't, they weren't terrible. They just weren't good uh, company towards the, their people. And I thought, well, it'd be really nice to be able to work in, like HR and work around people and work with people and see how I can make people's working lives a little bit easier. So I went off to do my CIPD, went to work for an organization um, and I worked there for quite a few years and, you know, worked my way up through the ranks and um, then started doing um, talent acquisition. I was, started, I was helping with hiring. Uh, I thought, I'm really good at this. I'm really good at hiring um, and hiring equitably, you know, um, because there were just some practices that the organization had in place that were very, very biased and incredibly, incredibly loaded. And just the next type of level of elitism. I, 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 I was like, what is going on? I remember saying to the CEO, um, this isn't the way to hire people into the organization. And I remember that um, um, she, oh, he, sorry, no, the CEO is a man, sorry. Um, 
he was, you know, he was very surprised when I was telling telling him some things that he wasn't doing right in the organization. Um, and I said, look, why don't you give me, let me do the hiring for, for the organization. I think that there are some, well, that no, I think there are some very problematic parts of this recruiting process. Um, so let me take take it at the helm and let me let me do it. And honestly, from I just started writing think pieces about how to diversify organizations. This was just me just writing um, think pieces on how to diversify organizations and how to um, you know how to get more women on your team, how to um, make sure you don't overlook people from other certain socioeconomic backgrounds and things like that and it we just started the organization started changing at one point I remember looking out we had an open plan office at one point I remember looking out at the office and 70% of the people in that room I had hired 70. Wow that's um one that's an incredible stat but when you initially spoke to the CEO about living change our practices and all that kind of stuff was he straight away open to it or were there some like back and forth so you had to do to really get him to open his mind and recognize that change needs to happen? Um, I remember saying to him, you can't, if I hear that you, I mean, obviously I was very respectful. The man did hold my salary in the palm of his hands. Um, but I remember saying, <laughs> I remember saying, um, I, I need you to kind of stop telling me that you're into diversity and inclusion. It's just driving me a bit nuts. And, and he was like, why? I said, because every single intern that we have had come to this organization has been from your children's private school. Every single intern that we have had since I have joined this company has come from a school that costs 40 grand a year. You've got two children in that school, so that's 80 grand a year. These are children of MPs. These are children of psychiatrists, children of doctors, children of business owners, you know, children of or grandchildren of judges of of you know very very powerful influential you know, hedge funders i promise you i remember saying to the ceo i promise you all of them will land on their feet because society has made it so because they're all very well connected so how about you stop telling me you're into diversity and inclusion and let me take it at home so that we can have different people because right right now if i see one more intern from that private school I think I will scream what can you say to that really because I had the receipts but then coming into that environment and starting to change the landscape to that 70% number that you did I'm sure that also taken some convincing on your part because you're asking people to come into environments which were sounds like very predominantly white middle class upper class so in the first one, two, three, four hires coming into the environment, they'll be like, Ooh, why why should I come here? Why should I come an intern here into that culture? Yeah, I think I don't know. I think people trusted my word, you know, that I was there to make changes. And I, I remember saying that I, I <laughs> at the risk of sounding arrogant, I can go and find another job. It's not <laughs> I don't need to be here. You know, look, my I've got a lot going on in my noggin. I I am gold dust to organization I can go. Um it really is as simple as that. And fortunately for me and them, um, because I actually did like the company, they did listen to me. And I, I think there was something very, I was always very honest. I was very transparent with candidates. And um, 
about what my vision was for that organization in regards to the demographic and how I wanted it to look like. Um, I, the frustrations that I, because I mean, the, the, the reason why I left that organization in the end was because I realized that, um, okay, I'll, I'll just say the story. Sorry. Um, so I was hiring for the, for the organization and, um, we were hiring for our New York office. And, um, so my, actually my direct manager, I hired my manager. Yeah. So my CEO, when we were hiring for the New York office, decides to send my manager to interview the people out there rather than me. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back because it made me realize that no matter how hard I work for organizations that are, are, are led by people who don't look like me, um, I was, I found this, even till, till this moment, this, of all the things that, and all the anti-blackness, all the racism, the microaggressions, of all those things that have happened to me in my career, I probably, that this particular moment still is my number one um, moment that really punched me in the gut. Um, because I thought, I, I look at all the people I've hired for you, look at the fact that I wanted to, so they were hiring for an MD in the UK office. It was down to two people. I wanted to go with this other MD, um, this, this other candidate who I thought was fantastic, blah, 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 blah. The um, acting MD uh, over overrode my choice and went for the other person. The other person that they went for lasted, I think, six weeks in the company. I get an email saying, we should have listened to you, Abby. We, we, we really messed up. I didn't even reply back to that email. I didn't even reply back. Wow. And I realized that there's only so much power that we are afforded. And that was the biggest insult too. And I think, you know, it was in the grand scheme of things. I know even now speaking to some of my friends, I'm like, they were like, so you've had so much worse things happen to you. Why is it this particular moment is the moment that still pisses you off when you think about it? I said, because you remember, I worked my ass off for three solid years. I worked my bum off in, 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 in ways that to make sure this organization was reflective of society was reflective of different backgrounds, reflective of different people. And when, you know, thinking this was going to be a career high for me to be able to go and hire for the New York office, you send my manager who I hired into the business. And I remember because I must have been fuming around the office because I think nobody was, I, I, you know, I'm quite chatty. So as my mum always says, I'm dangerous when I'm quiet. So that's when you're the most dangerous is when nobody can hear from you. And I did not say a single damn thing to anyone for about four days in the whole office. People were, Abs, you coming for lunch? Abs, you okay? So he said, oh, Abs, you know, uh, let's go for breakfast. And so obviously he knows, he knows why I'm pissed. So he takes me for breakfast and I, oh, where? I remember what he said. <laughs> And you know what you think? You just came out here with, to just dig a hole for yourself, thinking he was going to apologize for overlooking me after I'd hired seventy percent of his workforce and and overlooking me and sending and sending my manager to New York. He comes out with, 
Oh, Abby, the reason why I sent um, X person is because you would not have been able to get that person over the line. Two weeks later, I swear to you, that's what he said. Two weeks later, I handed him my notice. Did you, what was your response? Did you respond at all or did you just, you were like, at that point, you are like, nah, this guy's taking a breath. I just carried on eating my, um, my breakfast. I carried on eating my breakfast. The way I was stabbing at those mushrooms, but I didn't say a single thing because, <laughs> but because, because I also know that throughout my career, even when I'm in the right, which is more often than not happens, um, even when I'm in the right, when moments like that happen and you, I react, I then become the aggressor. I then become the angry black woman. I then start feeding into these stereotypes. So I thought, I, I thought, nah, you're not getting that rise out of me. Not today. <laughs> no, I, I, I remember, I just, I remember I was stabbing at my mushrooms. Um, I don't even like mushrooms. <laughs> so I was stabbing at my mushrooms and um, I was like, okay, cool. Like, and he was just, you know, you know, those moments when people talk, but their words just go right past your ears. I remember he was just talking and talking and talking. And I was just, I was just, I did not say a single word. I was just nodding. And I said, thank you. He paid for breakfast. So thank you. And we went back to the office. I didn't say a single word to him. But then wouldn't, you didn't say that he, maybe during that moment in time, like you said, because you were already riled up and you just wanted him to see that. Well, would you then prefer to say that there's an opportunity missed to let him know this is what you lost because of your trippy way of thinking and actually sharing that with him when things had kind of calmed down or you just felt like, you know what, I'm never going to say anything else I was going to bounce. Shop, I wasn't born to be people's saviors. I think I've done enough of that. You know, I, I'm. why should I have to save him again and again and again and again? So it's like, so, you know, and that's why I was like, why, why am I... Why am I giving you golden nuggets? What are you going to do with it? We, you're sitting at the, the the peak of privilege and power. What, what me giving you that knowledge? What does it What does it do for where you are? Where, where does it What does it do for him? Which is why when the Black Lives Matter movement um, went and I saw some of the posts that the company put up, I just thought my first thing was to cuss in Yoruba. First thing, because that's the first thing I normally do. So I always start cussing in Yoruba. He was all over my post because some of them were indirect to him. Yeah. As I said, actually, you know, this particular, I mean, I've met some wonderful people and I actually really like the company. I really, really like the company. I think that's, that's, that's another reason why it pained me because I actually genuinely like the company and I like the people because I had hired them. I like the people. But number one, there was no other place for me to grow there anyway. I, I hit the ceiling um, and I, you know, been there for three and a half years. There was nothing else I could possibly do for the organization. But it, it was... It was just one of those moments where you're just like, it's okay. Um, and as I said, it wasn't the company, the two companies I joined after that company, especially the one I don't join directly after, the worst company of my career, the worst company of my life, or my worst enemy, I wouldn't wish them upon them. Yeah. Worst company of my life, worst company of my career. What's so bad about it? Should we start with the racism? <laughs> or should we start with the sexism? Or should we start with the um, socio-economic digs? I can't even, as I said, it's even on a Monday. I can't even talk about them too. I can't even go in because it will ruin my week and I'll just be, I'll just be on fumes. But going back to 
so as I said, that particular company wasn't the worst that I, I actually enjoyed working there. It was that it was that moment of realizing that no matter how hard I work for this company, I will always be seen as someone less than. Because you saw me as less than, and that's why you sent my my manager that I hired. Let's not forget I hired the manager that I hired. So sorry. So you will sit me and have me interview MDs for the UK for the UK office, but you don't think I'm good enough to hire the MDs for the American office. My my faith is the the bedrock of everything I do and who I am. And and you know I I mean I don't go to church necessarily. Um, because I don't believe in the church as an institution, but that's a, that's a conversation for another day. Um, but my faith in, in God um, is unwavering. And honestly, I remember saying to God, I remember saying to God after that conversation, that breakfast that we've had, I, I remember being in um, the toilet in, uh, in, in the building that we were, and I said to God, I need you to give me a 360 moment. I need you to remind me of this moment and, 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 fight for me the way you said you would um because i i need i need this this moment to have a have a full circle i, I need to come back here when i'm up here i remember this moment and do do that for me god and of course god's like ashe he's already he's already, he's already got me because i didn't understand why all those things happened I got you. You know, I didn't understand why all those things happened, but you know, when I look back at where I am now and the things that I'm doing now, the clients that I'm with now, um, and you know, I, when I went to New York, first time I went to as a when I set up my own business, I went to New York to go and um, do some work for an American-based company. I remember sitting on the plane when I was laughing. I was laughing. I was laughing on the plane. Um, so much. I'm sure the people around me was thought, is this, is this, is this, is this? I'm sure these people were thinking, poor thing, bless her, it's her first time flying business class. She's just happy. <laughs> oh, look at that. Look at her, poor thing. She's just so happy to be in business class. But that's the why I was laughing. Yes, the surroundings were nice, but I was laughing because I was thinking about the time I asked God to fight for me, about, about me not being able to go to New York and having a client fly me out. Um, to come and do some work with them having only just read my work on LinkedIn not even having seen my work the way my old MD had, my old CEO had seen my work this other organisation just trusted my word that I could deliver for them when I think about you describing that scenario what comes back to me is you are not seen your work was felt and the impact of your work was felt, but you were not actually seen, despite you physically <laughs> being there. Exactly. And always trying to get people to really understand that how important it is for people to be seen. I think you just give a really great example of what that actually looks like and feels like for someone. If you haven't already, can you please follow the podcast? It really helps us grow and it tells the apps that it's a podcast worth listening to. Which the fact that you're listening to means that it is and other people need to know about it. In Apple Podcast, if you click the three dots in the top right of your app, look for the follow button and click on it. And in Spotify, the follow button should be just below the show's artwork. Now let's get back into today's episode. That, 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 and that was it. Sorry, me and my ring light, sorry. Um, exactly that, that, 
that was it. I was not seen. Um, and 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 it it took that happening for me to just be like, wow, 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 wow. Is this is this is this what it is? I wasn't seen. I was so invisible. I that it was just how nonchalantly he said to me, "Oh, Abby, you wouldn't have been able to get him over the line, just without without any duty of care, without any respect." It was, yeah, I thought to myself, is this who you're going to come and die for? And, you know, I had to call myself by my full Nigerian, my government name. I had to call myself in my, I remember saying, my calling my full name in my head. Saying, is this, is this, look at this. Look at the way they've just shot all over your legacy that you've built here. What's your full name? Abidemi Olua Fumilayo Adamson. Yeah, that's powerful words. Listen. That's powerful words right there. Listen. <laughs> Listen, don't even. Don't even. The way I love my name here. Don't even. Don't even. My name is no joke. Trust. It is no joke. So when I say to me, cause, and there's sometimes where I have to speak to myself and be like, I'll be doing me. I'll be doing me. Are you okay? <laughs> and that, that was, I remember saying that when I went into the toilet after that conversation, after that break. And I remember saying to God, hey, me, Abidemi, me, I need you to fight for me, God, let's go. Let me have a full circle moment. And when I got on that plane a few years ago to go to New York, I I was, I, I think I spent about an hour just laughing, in the, just, just laughing. I'm sure even the air hostess was walking past and laughing with me because everyone just started laughing. I, I, I just couldn't stop laughing because I couldn't, I just, it was so, the, the, the justice was poetic. And someone working in the organization sent me a message. Um, um, I think after I had posted about the work I was doing with Spotify. Um, and they said, oh, do you reckon, you, you know, would you do some work with X, Y, and Z? Um, I said, I said, do you think yesterday's price is today's price? <laughs> I said, no, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you, though. It's very sweet. I might not be able to get you over the line. Was there any price they would have had that would have made you actually want to work with them? A hundred bajillion pounds. No, I'm just, no, no. <laughs> I just watched The Simpsons. Um, no, um, not really, because for me, it was, it's not, it wasn't about money. It's about the money. Yeah, it was a principle. They weren't paying me very well back then, but I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed my, my colleagues. I really liked them. They weren't even paying me very well, but sometimes, well, actually, most times I've always chosen money over. Pe I've always chosen. I've always chosen peace of mind over money. So it wasn't about. I wasn't being paid well anyway, you know. So that that wasn't. That was never the thing. I, and I, you know, I'm not even gonna lie. I probably would have stayed a little bit longer, not for maybe not forever. Obviously, um, all good things must come to an end. But after three and a half years, I probably would have stayed probably an extra year or so, if that New York incident didn't happen. Because that's how much I loved my colleagues. And that's how much I really loved the work I was doing. It was boring, but I did enjoy it. Because good people are hard to find. But then you went from that, that opportunity to two of the worst organizations you've worked for to being out of work for eight months. Now, when I think back to what you said right now, saying to yourself, God, fight for me. No, how do you know I was out of work for eight months? My friend, come on now, if we're going to do this, we're going to do research, like, come on. 
We stay in the I did not have some speak either because I don't really talk about it that often. Anyway. <laughs> That's well, that is good research. You went from that you were from you were from that period to having nothing, like bad experience, bad experience, and then nothing for eight months. Were you feeling that at that point in time that God was fighting for you or what? Oh, 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 that experience. If I didn't have my faith, I'm not even going to lie, I, I think I would have... Okay, let me not talk, speak, speak violence, but I, I, I had one foot on the ledge, let's put it like that, that way. But I, I did, because my thing is, there is no way that God would just allow me to just exist like this. Um, and in that, partic that particular, that awful company, I remember, I was there for nine weeks. The one I joined after was nine weeks and I just thought there is there is no way. There is no way. And I remember at the time, you know, my dad, a few of my friends were like, you know, you have enough for a lawsuit. Like easy, an easy lawsuit. <laughs> just an easy one. You don't even have to do too much. And I mean, I thought about it for about a week and I, I remember saying to a few of my friends that I, I actually don't I don't really want to go down the, the, the legal route because I just don't care about them um and you know my trouble was like you know but they they did you dirty all the racism that you you know the, and I'm not talking about microaggression I'm talking about outward outward racism the macro stuff but I chose not to go down the legal route because some you know again I, I really do believe, like for me, peace of mind is really important, really important. And going through the legal route would mean that, you know, we, we have months, of weeks and months of, of, of hypertension and high blood pressure and migraines. And I just, that no amount of payout would, would really balance that out. So that's why I didn't go, that's why I just left them. I know that. I know that they're always looking over their shoulder because they know I have the receipts. I kept all my emails. I kept all of the Slack messages. I kept the text messages, um, recordings. I kept them. Not necessarily to ever use, but just, you know, to, to remind me that, you know, there's, there's no job is ever worth. I mean, I, I left that job without a job to go to. I left both the jobs, that one and the one after without um without any jobs to go to and then of course covid hit which resulted in you know b b making it very difficult to to find um roles and but throughout all of those times i was writing think pieces and i was writing you know my linkedin pieces and all of that and that's how that is how spotify actually found me um so my life changed massively in three years through linkedin um and through um the being featured in you know a, a journalist picking up my words and put putting it in the New York Times so I had a lot of people being like oh my gosh is this you in the New York Times and Spotify saying is this your article and, and not the New York Times but, but another article was like oh is this your article I said yeah and then that's that's honestly how it started to to, to grow and how um my words started to reach really big companies and influential people wow so for me when when those moments were happening where I was just 
you know, pouring my heart out on LinkedIn, that was God's redirection. I was looking back over the last um, 10 years and, you know, because I say to when people say, oh, how long have you been doing inclusion work? Well, I said, oh, 10 years. Because I look back at all of the work that I did at that company where I was hiring. I look at the, the, the work that I was doing before, even before my HR stuff and all of the, the every type of policy that I helped write, every type of think piece, every type of framework that I put together had diversity, equity, inclusion, embedded into the, into its DNA, embedded into the roots, even before it became like, oh, DNI is a thing, DNI then way before the death of George Floyd. Because I don't as I said to you before, I don't get to switch off my switch on and off my identity. And I look back up to when I was working in film and I remember working for that absolute nonsense um production company, the amount of times that I would see people who look like me come for interviews and never get the role and then I'd see the people that did get the job and I'd go and look at the job description and I'm looking at the person looking at the job description looking at the person looking at the job description thinking this doesn't make any sense and then I would hear and then I'll speak to them you know um they're working in admin when I was in in film and I and I and I'd speak to them and said oh so how did you oh yeah no I came for an interview then well, my dad's um, president, my dad's friends with the president. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, um, you know the head of legal? Yeah, that's my um, my, my godfather. So it started to make sense to me in the kitchen, but I used to speak to them like, I get it. I thought, because ain't no way, ain't no way that black woman didn't get that job, and you did. did you, ain't, ain't, ain't no way on this green earth. But now that I know that your godfather is the head of legal, and now that I know that your your godfather is the president of the company, yeah, okay, makes sense. Even even in this co- the company that I I was there for three and a half years, I remember one um one of the people there. It's like, oh my god, you know, um, I've just been working so hard. This is when I was, I was new to the company and still you know figuring out who everyone was. I'm oh my gosh, I'm just oh god, I've worked so hard. And I said, oh, how did you, I interview? I worked to get to get there. I said, well, how did you get the, the role? Um, she was like, oh, I just had an interview, blah, blah. I said, oh, okay, um, that's it. She was yeah, didn't tell me anything. Someone else was like, what? Their dad is on the board. Their dad is an investor in the business. I was like, are you kidding? I was like, yeah. But their dad is like, go and look at the investors. That's, and then, I, of course, I went to go and look at it. And I said to them, I said, oh, you did, you, when I asked you, you got the job, you seem to admit very big parts, which is your dad is an investor in the business. I was like, might as well just own it. It is what it is. Own it. We certainly didn't get it on merit. What are your views on nepotism? It's rife everywhere. Um, My thing is nepotism will happen. My, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to try and be devil's advocate with this um, because of course, when I build an empire for myself and and stuff like that, the whole, I mean, you would understand this as well, being Nigerian, that we, we Nigerians, it's, we say that, you know, we, we do better than our parents so that our children can do better than us. So if my child wants to get a leg up and I know the right people, why would I not use my resources to get them to get them? So that's where I'm going to play devil's advocate. Why the heck not? I say that to say this. 
where nepotism is a problem for me is when people don't own up to it. What I would need my child to say is, my mum knows the CEO, or my mum and the CEO are friends. I'm not saying that my child isn't going to have to go through, um, um, or my future child, I don't have, I'm speaking everything into existence, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to say 2024, they put it out there now, you know. <laughs> Next time I'm putting it out into the, I'm putting it out into the universe. Exactly, like, right? So, you know, or, or, or my future husband or whatever, you know, or, or yeah, my, my parents know X, Y, Z because they used to work together or, or you know, I, I need them to be able, I'm not saying that they're not going to have like the education, the skills and all that. Yes, they would have that, but I need them also to be honest. And I think that's just where, honest about their connection. And I think this is where nepotism upsets me is that that person I was speaking to purposely omitted that she was given an internship because her dad is an investor. Yeah. Not necessarily because she's the best person to do the job. And I'd like to think that my my, my future children are as, um, not, I don't say that egotistical, but certainly um, they, they would have, that you know, they would have some kind of chest about them that they, would, they wouldn't they would even want to take that kind of, take it, off, take it off me or take it off their dad. Do you know what I mean? Where they're like, no, 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 very much. I want to do this myself so that people can't turn around and say, Actually, her mum's or his mum or her mum's Abby Adamson. That's why they got the job, you know. Um, I'd like to think that they would want to make their own way and find their own way, and which which I I hope for them, because I I you know this is this is the thing is that I'm doing this work and I'm working as hard as I can so that my children don't have to go through some of the shit that I did. So, but nepotism is it's going to be there. There's nothing we can do i'm not gonna i'm not going to be one of those like parents that just watch my child struggle because i don't want to be accused of nepotism yeah you help them out that's why i said i'm being devil's advocate yeah and i get it and that's i think i'm i'm very much aligned with you i understand if you're in that position if if i was in that position i'd definitely do it but it's the ownership of it it's like actually i am here because of x exactly just own it that's right and i think there's this i just i personally i think this mindset is really butters like things saying things like oh i work i i struggle to get where i am so you must struggle too i think that's just so gross i think it's gross when i see black professionals in particular black and brown professionals um projecting that kind of mindset that kind of nonsense onto other black professionals um, you know those black people that have anti-blackness themselves? Yeah. And they, they project that of, oh, well, look, you know what? Pull yourself up by your bootstrap. I managed to get here. The gatekeepers. Those gay, those disgusting gatekeepers that are actually worse than than the the dominant society. The, that, oh, I, I got here, you know, um, working my butt off. So you can do this too. I did, I got through. I, that, that, it's just, I just think it's so ugly. It's such an ugly thing to put out there see whereas my mentality is the ladder mentality of yes you know what it was really difficult for me to to get where I am it was incredibly difficult for me to to climb up this ladder but I'm climbing I'm gonna pull the ladder down towards you I'm gonna put it towards you and I'm gonna help you climb up too that's how I think I love that I think and that's for me personally that's how, that's how it should be because it is always around that's the evolution that's the change that's the structural shift that 
needs to happen, but it's not going to happen if you're not consistently pulling the ladder down for the people to come into those spaces and places. If not, the same thing that we're currently have right now will keep on being perpetuated time and time and time and time again. And something something that you said earlier on that really stood out to me now, I really wanted to emphasize. Despite every single thing that you went through, you remind me of um, when God said to um, Abraham, what you got in your hand? Because you kept on writing. You kept on talking. You kept on sharing. You kept on putting out your your thoughts, your words, regardless of your experience at that point in time. And that was what led you to, like you said, yeah, the Spotify gig and everything else growing out from there. I think a lot of times when we go through hard times and dark times, it is very easy for us to go into a woe is me kind of mentality and mindset and just be down and out and be like, I've got nothing going for me. But you really exemplify why it's important to still utilize us and what we have inside of us and not let our environment completely take everything out of us. Because it will take some things because it will be tough and challenging, but not everything out of us. No, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. And I, I, I mean, I won't lie to anyone listening to this. I did have a woe is me moment. You know, I did have like times where I was um, living with my friend Tolu at the time. And I remember Tolu was like, she'd be like, a bit of me, I need you to get out of bed. I need you to remember who you are. You know, I was like, Tolu, I can't not today. Go away. I want you to I want this episode of Black Mirror. This is what my life is like right now. Tolu <laughs> <laughs> was like, get out of bed. What are you doing? What are you, this is you. Do you know how powerful your brain is? Have you not read your work? Get out of bed. Like Tolu would come in and she'd literally be like banging on my head in the room and be like, you need to remember who you are, Abidim. You are Abidim Adamson. You are Abidim Adamson. You that hired 70% of the workforce. You that put someone's company margin up by 230%. You single-handedly saved a whole company from almost self-destruction. You need to get out. Get out of bed. Enough of this woe is me. Right. So I had a week of self-pity. And then I was like, right. Okay. I need to remember who I am. You know, I had I had my Mufasa rule. I had to roar it out. Um, yeah. Honestly, it's like a episode of uh, this remember who you are part of the lighting. So I had to come back, you know, remember that my roots, it's 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 it's, it's my roots run deep. So yeah, I had to, you know, I had to shake it off and, and just be like, well, I can either play the cards that I'm dealt or I can win some someone else's cards and, and, and as in someone else's cards at the table and and change this game around. So I decided to play strategically and use my use my powerful brain and use my words. You know, and I, I can't remember which um which article or which uh, which LinkedIn post? I just remember, well, I, I don't know which one, but one that went viral. And I think I woke up one day and it was like two hundred and fifty people had um um shared this shared this shared this piece. And for me, my defi- my defining moment on LinkedIn was when it was the sixth of June, twenty twenty. And I had made a video on um, LinkedIn, I mean, an eight minute video where I was just talking about how difficult the past few years had been for me, um, trying to navigate a workspace, um, being a black woman. Um, and 
I remember one one of these horrible organizations, um, a, a white manager had come into the I had an office that I shared with the head of so I was head of talent acquisition, and I had a space that I shared with the head of people, and I remember um, the head of production came down from his office into my office, opened the door and came in. I was sitting down and he was standing over me and he said, I don't really like the way you just called. You're so aggressive. I was sitting down and I was just staring at him and he was standing over me, calling me aggressive. And I just remember thinking, okay. So when I did that video on LinkedIn and I was talking about how, I mean, I mean, on this job, I could give you 101 different examples of some of the nonsense that I've lived through in, in workplaces but when I made that video and I was talking about how difficult it was being black being a black woman I posted it on LinkedIn to be honest thinking honestly thinking that and at that time I only had like I say only because that's what it was but I only had like 2,000 connections on LinkedIn so I thought out of 2,000 connections 100 people will watch it and you know what that's 100 people that hopefully I've I've change their mindset in some way you know for for the better I that was the Thursday I posted it the Friday I remember I woke up to my notifications on my on my iPhone and then I woke up to about 350 notifications and about I don't know how many missed calls from my sister saying have you seen your LinkedIn have you seen your LinkedIn I said my LinkedIn she goes go on your LinkedIn go on your LinkedIn thinking that as I said 10,000 so 100 people were going to see, see it I woke up and 20,000 people had viewed it and my LinkedIn my inbox was I think I almost fainted when I saw all the messages with with and also messages with job offers with job offers with people saying you don't even need to come and interview I was like no no, no I, I will interview because I was out of a job at the time Oh, no, 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 I won't. They were like, we don't, we don't even need, need you to interview. We've seen your credentials. We know what you can do. Come in and work with us. Come in and work with us. Come in and work with us. I had about, I don't know, about 150 um, DMs. And out of 150, 25 were job offers off the back of that video. That video changed my life. How did you, how did you feel? How did you feel though when you saw that? I remember sitting with Tony, um, and I said to Tony, I was like, I, I just, I don't know. I, I still, I think back to the, that, that, that video changed my life overnight. It changed my life. And, um, and it's funny because Tony said I should have, I remember, I was saying, well, I'm in an hourie. I was saying to Tony, should I post the video? Or should I do it in words? And she goes, well, I, she likes to read. And she said, oh, I really like your words. You know, I don't really, I'm not really a video person. Let me just post the video. Um, because I think it would be better in words. And I said, okay, you know what? Let me post the video. And if it doesn't, you know, get the traction, then it is what it is, you know? And she said, thank God you didn't listen to me. <laughs> I remember she said, she said to me, check out that uh, my nickname for her is Squidge and her nickname for me is Chicken. And she goes, you know what, Chick? Thank God you didn't listen to me, Chicken. That video changed everything. And <laughs> But you know what? With all of those job offers, all... I, I remember saying to Tolly, I don't think I can go and work for one more bad company. I had two back-to-back. -back. Okay, I left the other one because of the whole New York thing. Then I had two back-to-back. -back and I said, I think a third one will, will actually make me jump off a ledge. If I have one more company, if I do, if, 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 the, if the next company I join, I am met with racism 
um, an anti-blackness. I, I think that that might be it. And honestly, every I felt like God was speaking to me. God was just like, you don't need anyone. You can you can do this on your own. And then when Spotify called me, you know, I was like, yeah, okay, I'll do this. Do you find it hard talking about your success and all your wins and your accomplishments and everything that you've done, not just in the last three years with your own company, but even prior to that? I, I don't even talk about it. And I, um, I'm, I'm working with a coach now um, to help me with, because of imposter syndrome, because I know it sounds... I'm, I know it sounds ridiculous. The reason why I keep going back to this point of origin of this whole New York thing of I'm being, I'm, you know, my CEO sending my manager is because for me, that particular moment changed a lot of things. And I was riding on this high of, oh my gosh, I am, look at how wonderful I am, how I'm recruiting into the business. And remember, these people are staying in the business. It's not like I'm recruiting people that are just then leaving. You know, they're, they're staying and they're building a legacy. And, and, and so for me, to have the rug pulled from underneath, I don't think I've, I mean, I'm, I'm, like, I'm, I'm doing fine. It's, it's that I do have moments that when I do want to talk about, th- think about my wins or talk about my, my, my successes and how far I've come, I do think back to that moment of that's, that's, I was very, very comfortable and I'm very relaxed. And I was very like, yes, I'm doing very well. And look at this. And then whoosh that that happened so i try to make sure i well, i i i make sure that i bask in humility as much as i can and keep keep it humble um even you know a few of my friends said you you know we don't we don't even know you're working with sony music we don't we don't we don't even know you're you were working with we didn't even know you were working with google we didn't know you were working with the london wildlife trust we didn't know you were working with lululemon or on the beach and they start listing all my all my clients and like because you don't talk about it on linkedin you talk about anti-racism on linkedin and you talk about this and that but you never talk about all the wonderful work you're doing and you never mention the clients names and i'm like yeah but should i and they're like abby you can you you can humble brag it's even i went to seattle to do some work with the bill and melinda gates foundation um a few weeks back and I was so worried about posting on LinkedIn because I don't know. I just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm working on learning to humble brag, you know, I'm learning. Um, and yeah, yeah. After, after all the things that have happened to me, negative things and challenging times in my career, I think it's just, I find it difficult to, to humble brag um but i'm hoping you know that i i learn to to lean into that that more you know that celebratory thing in all you've done or you've achieved whether it's in your company other companies what are you most proud of um i think i'm most proud of um when i'm most proud um and this is truly truly the truth (laughs) truly truly the truth um is some of the emails that i have i have or the dms that i have received after doing work with an organization from you know does more often than not happen to be women of color that will send me a message and say because of your training abby you know um the microaggressions have lessened because of your training we've changed our 
um, promotion process and now it's been done in a more transparent and equitable way because of your training the communication in this organization is so much better that's what i'm most proud of to know that people aren't being ushered ostracized alienated segregated because of who they are and what they look like to be able to have mds ceos cmos all the c's um be you know send me messages and say we we didn't know that this was happening but because of your focus group or because of your your interviews we were able to find these problems and these are the solutions that we are putting forward to mitigate them that that for me is what i'm most proud of to be able to be part of that organizational change those transformations those internal transformations that's why i do this job lord knows i don't do it for the money yeah if i can positively influence people not having to go through what i went through that for me is a big win I, I, I honestly, some of, I look back at some of the things that I have gone through and I, I just, I truly, truly hope that I can, if, what, if I can influence it in any way that someone else doesn't go through that, then, then I've, I've done all right. And I think for me, it's always important to be able to have people who I've been doing the work from day dot. Like you said, the receipts have been there. But more importantly, someone who normally has just been doing the work at this very theoretical kind of level, but someone who's been living it and embodying it in such a real and powerful way like we just described today. And that for me, those kind of people always bring a very different energy to the work, to the way that you show up. Because it is, to your point, I don't want people to go through what I've gone through. I know this, I understand this, I feel this viscerally. And therefore, when I'm coming to your environments, your organizations, I want to make sure that I can help shift the dial in a very positive and impactful way that's going to be leaving lasting change. Not short-term impacting your balance, but more long-term legacy, which is, which is great to do. And the way that you do it, you do it in this very unashamed way. Like, I'm saying right at the start, like, you snatch people's edges online. Like, you just, <laughs> you talk your talk. <laughs> you call people out, whether it's organizations, whether it's celebrities, whatever it is, you are not afraid to use your voice. And I think it's important because there are other people who feel the way you do, but are scared to use their voice because they work for organizations where, like, if I say something, it's going viewed against me. And then people like you, and I'm sure you've got those DMs in the past saying, thanks for saying that. I couldn't say that publicly, but thanks for saying that. It needs people like you to be that voice, to be able to really help people feel seen, feel heard, and, and know that they're not alone, which I think is also really important as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I try. And just as we are wrapping up, the last question to you will be, how do you define leadership? I define leadership as 
being able to look inwards, being able to be self-reflective, being able to allow yourself to be vulnerable, being communicative in a way that's authentic, in a way that's transparent, and saying what you mean and meaning what you say. Mm. So it was a great one. I want to ask you for that question. And then you can look at the individual and how they show up and the work that they do and be like, you can see the synergies. You can see that you saying that and how the work that you're doing and even the, the content and stuff that you write is just living and embodying that in such a great way. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you for this conversation. Um, it's been dope. I had so much fun lessons laughter thank you um, thank but you. real talk under so really appreciate you appreciate you too thank you while you're still recovering from that amazing conversation let me give you a quick preview of what we got coming up next week make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out we grew up with parents that were always solving problems and generating revenue. What happens now was just my normal. My parents started new businesses every year, so I thought that was normal, right? Whether or not it failed or did well, there was a new business every year. When I was in my teenage years, I realized like in school that, okay, you know, these kids need lollipops, but they can't get any, you know, especially because there was a boarding side of the school and they, those kids couldn't get lollipops. So I bought a box of lollipops, I brought it to school started selling them for like a dollar pop right or the equivalent of and i was like oh my god profit you know it was the first time i i i got it 